With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, fresh off of our trip to New Orleans, it is Matthew Penny. What up, Ben? How are we doing, Sam? I, I'm, I, I mean, my answer, my early answer is I'm doing great. Uh, it was fantastic to meet you in person. We had a lot of fun together. Uh, yeah. we, we hit the streets, went to a few parties with mutual friends. It was great. Uh, you called it early the second night, around 10 or 11 yeah. o'clock. We, we saw Bourbon Street the night before. We saw it night two, and it was kind of like all the fans had shown up, and it was packed, right? Like, see oh, humanity. Yeah, and you were no like, no chance is, I was staying out there. This, this, my is, this is another is world. Like this is too much for me, too. Charts. But at some point, it's like every four years, I get those four days where I'm like, I'm going I'm <laughs> to do this in New Orleans. So you made the, the right call. You were an adult. You said, this is not for me. My time is up. You walked home. You went to bed. And hey, I have COVID, everybody. Oh! <laughs> so you make the right decision. You, you look down the street with just oh, like. Didn't, this, by the way. Didn't go out the next night either. Right. But you saw the sea of humanity and you said, nope, not for me. And for your valiant effort and your safety and your anxiety, you still end up with COVID. And I I don't know if this is going to post because I'm at a hotel. I have an event (laughs) tomorrow. You're in a hotel because you can't go home to Australia. So why don't you just like fill us in a little bit of uh, you look like you're being held hostage in like a uh, (laughs) like a back room at Kinko's like you're like, you know, the whiteboards are there to shift yeah. the guys coming in next. And there's like snacks, the closet and paper towels behind you. So why don't you Food, enlighten please. some of our, uh, enlighten some of our <laughs> listeners on your kind of process here? Yeah. So have COVID, uh, can't leave the country for the next, uh, seven days, basically, uh, six days now, I think, uh, you know, locked in a room. And can't go until I'm asymptomatic, which uh, I believe that my symptoms started on April 4th, maybe April 3rd, actually. Um, Took a rapid test when I got to Portland, came back negative. Uh, I got worse the next day. Uh, Yeah, similar to what happened to you, actually, when you had COVID in December. Um, And then you know, went to a health clinic like next to my hotel the next day, took a rapid PCR and it came back positive. So uh, have COVID and can't leave hotel. Uh, Real problem for the next uh, seven days. And then on top of it, because of travel restrictions to the United States or from the United States to Australia, uh, it's seven days until seven days from my first diagnosis with COVID, which is April 5th, which means I can't wait until at least April 12th. Yeah. So locked in a hotel for a while now. And and also a different hotel to add insult to injury, as they would say, you had a decent hotel because you were in Portland, right? For the Nike hoop summit. I am still in Portland. Right. But didn't technically, (laughs) did you even go to a practice? I don't think you got that far, right? No, 
No, didn't right. didn't show per- up to any perfect. practices. Didn't had zero interaction with any like USA basketball personnel. Had zero interaction with any world team personnel, any NBA personnel in person. Like didn't didn't you know? I'm, I'm very glad that I didn't. Thank God uh, for that. The only yeah. person I saw was good friend of the program, Danny Larue, who I went to lunch with, and you know I've told Danny, and I think Danny's okay. Thank God, as well as his wife. So like. Um, you know, yeah, I'm happy that I seem to have not spread it to anyone in Portland. Um, or at least, you know, shouldn't have spread it to anyone except for maybe Danny, uh, in Portland. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's a huge bummer. And, uh, apparently the hotel I was in previously does not allow, uh, you know, COVID quarantine, even in this strange, uh, strange situation that I find myself in where, for a moment there, I was essentially homeless in Portland, trying to find uh, a way to a way to quarantine here. Um, so yeah, that, that's where I'm at in my life. Things are all good. Just just enjoying the process. You got to trust the process, Penny. That's what it's all about. And you did trust the process. You you waited. You've been in Australia for however many years. You're, you're finally back, and here's your parting gift. Here is that's something cool. that we've been dealing with domestically. It has ruined and crippled our economy and humanity. And please take some back to Australia. You're relegated to that office that probably has a bed in there that folds out like a Murphy bed or something. And uh, I'm I'm guaranteeing you're watching a lot of bad movies. So maybe it's a a little bit of a blessing in disguise for you. Not a full blessing, like a half blessing. It's hilarious. So Hollinger, uh, who who just found out that I have COVID, he texted me and was like, wait, you spent like a year in lockdown. And then like upon (laughs) arriving in the United States, we gave you COVID immediately. Yeah. I Um, I laugh. Before we started, like. Uh, I, I told Sam, I'm like, I, I'm really sorry you feel that way. There is a, a dash of humor, obviously a, a, a terrible virus. It's Look, tens of thousands yeah, of people. Like, it's it, not and, humorous, but the fact that Sam just got here from America gets this, and now he's he's locked in a storage unit. Uh, there's there's <laughs> definitely uh, there's some laughs involved. There is. I, I wish we'd get around it. I can't. Well, and this is the reason it's funny. Like I'm fine. Um, you know, the the first night was not great. Like I had like sweats and a headache and like really really bad congestion there's never a point where i had like shortness of breath there's never a point where i had anything beyond just a normal sinus infection plus a headache right like it sucked because getting like a sinus infection headache sucks right but like it's it's funny because i didn't like get destroyed with symptoms which not everyone is lucky enough to say so you know Seriously, go get vaccinated, everyone. Like, I'm triple vaccinated. Uh, like, I would imagine that that plays a significant role in the fact that I did not experience significant symptoms. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, due to travel restrictions, I am stuck here. Um, so, yeah, we're, uh, we're, we're in a fun place here in, in lovely, lovely Portland, Oregon for the next time. Yeah. Well, the, the good news is pre-COVID, you had a great seat, I'm guessing, at the, at the Final Four. Saw first oh row, first row for uh, the end potentially asterisks of, of Coach K, and you get to see Kansas, and and obviously talked about North Carolina and Villanova. Uh, I left. I, I do the the veteran move of Thursday to Saturday. I'm home before Saturday's game, so you were up close. And yeah, first, and, and, and by the way, let, let let me be clear. Sure, didn't go out Wednesday night that I was in New Orleans. Went out with you Thursday night. Didn't go out Friday night. Didn't go out Saturday night. Uh, well, fr- no, 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 no. Fr- no, Friday we did a little bit, a little bit. 
Well, okay. I didn't drink at all on Friday night. Like, didn't like go out and like get after it with you guys a little bit. Like you left yeah. a little bit earlier than our friends, but like, um, you know, went out to Bourbon Street very briefly, decided that that was not humanity and <laughs> departed. Um, cause I didn't want to like wake up and feel like shit basically. So was responsible every night, but one in new Orleans still caught COVID just what a, like Happens. what a disaster this is. Uh, Second, yes, I did see an incredible game in an utterly incredible seat. So for people who don't know, Jim Nance, Bill Raftery, and Grant Hill, they get like this little pod courtside where they get to call the game from, right? Like they're, so there's the raised court, right? And then right at center court, they get this little like pod thing where they're right there and they get to call the game where the pot is like on the depressed part of the ground next to the court, basically. So they're like seeing everything like, I don't know, ankle level and then like kind of looking up. Right. So uh, maybe a little bit higher than that, maybe like near thigh level or whatever. And then watching everything happen right behind them is essentially the first row of media section. I was literally sitting right behind Grant Hill. Uh, I was center court, first row, basically, that wasn't courtside for Coach K's last game and for Duke UNC. And guys, I've got to tell you, I have never experienced a better basketball, a full basketball game. Like I've experienced a better moment. The, The one better moment that I would say I've experienced was the Chris Jenkins shot against uh, UNC in the national championship game that won Villanova the title. I was literally courtside, like right in front of Chris Jenkins as he made that shot. Uh, That was incredible and like unbelievable and something I will never see again. But for a full game, for the atmosphere, for every single thing that you could imagine a game being, this was it. This, this, I, I don't know that I will ever experience anything better than this event. The energy, the uh, the sheer ambiance of the moment, like it, it's hard to it's hard to put into words. Like you could feel the like the last ditchness of it all. Like you always feel that in an elimination game, but this felt different. Uh, because it was essentially like a WWE style retirement match yeah. for Coach K. It, it, was, like, it was the Undertaker losing to Brock Lesnar. People are still shocked when it happened. Like, wait a minute, the streak? Like, it's over? Like, Coach K? Like, this? Yeah, is like, it? and immediately people started saying, one, like, is it it? Like, does he have one more? He had no emotion, but that for that moment, it had to be actually like pretty insane and surreal to to be that close to. The one that I was thinking of was Shawn Michaels, like mouthing "I love you" to Ric Flair, oh, Ric Flair. right yeah. before he sweet chin music him. Except it was Caleb Love drilling a <laughs> dribble handoff three right in front of Mark Williams's face to win the game for UNC. Well, the, like, the difference is Shawn Michaels does the foot tap and says, "I'm sorry, I love you" to Ric Flair because that was somebody he idolized growing up. And yeah, in contrast, Brady Manick saying like "Bang bang." You know, as he's sitting, oh three. my so god! There, so there's difference, and and you can add some expletives. I I, I can't here as the family program, uh, so a little, a little different. But I always appreciate the wrestling analogies. So yeah, the the energy from the crowd was incredible, like off the charts. Uh, 
Duke fans, UNC fans, it was a sea of blue. Everyone stood the entire game. Like, I had probably three rows worth of, like, media behind me before the fans started. And then on top of it, I don't know if you knew this, but if someone told me this, like, I guess it's accurate. Apparently, if you win or if you get to a national title game, you get front row seats as a coach for the rest of your life to the national ti- or to the final four. Interesting. Did not know that. So like right behind me was Scott Drew um, or right behind uh, the media section, like right in the front row was like Scott Drew. Um, who was it? It was I think Huggins was there because he was Hall of Fame, obviously, Hall and fame, had to yeah. like be able to get down. Um, Chris Beard was there. There were a couple other like coaches there that had made a national championship game. I don't know if that's true or not, but someone told me that, that that's accurate. So like even that first row, you're not getting like full Duke and UNC fans, right? Is what is the point I'm making? Even still, they start right behind that. You could feel that crowd and its energy, like coming down upon you in a way where it's almost like, Almost like you're at one of those crazy venues where the crowd is right on top of literally on top of you, right on. Yeah, it it was unbelievable. And like, shout out Duke fans, shout out UNC fans that came down. Um, I am certain that even Duke fans like will remember that moment for the rest of their lives because it, it was. Just and not only that, I mean, the game had like 19 lead changes. It had like 13 ties. Like it was close the entire way. I think that nobody led by more than seven in the entire game. It, it was there was never a point to be quiet. There was never a point to like disengage at all from the game. And it, it was unbelievable. It, it was something unlike I will ever experience in my life. And like, even though I'm sitting here in a hotel room with COVID and like, I uh, can't leave to go home for six more days. Like, <laughs> I'm doing proof of life checks like every eight hours, just texting like, hey, man, yeah, podcast. Like, hey, like, 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 are, are you, you alive? Are you it's good? Like, well, normally, because <laughs> our times are upside down. I don't hear from you. It's like, all right, it's two in the morning in Australia, whatever. But it's like one in the afternoon here. And I know you're like an hour or two behind me i'm like i haven't heard from him just oh let's, yeah let's, like let's, i let's shot make sure through, we're alive here shot through my alarm that i set for 10 just because i'm sleeping a lot obviously yeah um shot through it and slept till 11 25 today i was like wait what happened here when i woke up um but yeah no it, it's it, it it has made like that game alone made this trip something entirely worth experiencing uh, I won't see anything like it. It was amazing. It was one of the coolest environments that you could ever be a part of. Plus, I got to see Kay's last game, and that's like an absolute dream come true. <laughs> Yikes. So uh, I'll, I'll start kind of with here to, to drive this. So you're you're up close. The first time you saw all the, the Duke prospects, projected first-round guys, for the first time this season in person. Yeah. So w- with the latest extension of, of Paul Bancaro here during the year, had a really strong tournament, stronger than probably everybody else in the top four or five. What was your takeaway seeing him uh, there versus on film? Did anything stand out or not stand out that you anticipated or didn't anticipate? Not with Paulo. Pa- Paulo was exactly what I thought he'd be. The, the fluidity off the bounce, the just general like athletic dexterity, it really stands out. I think the shot's fine. Like it'll get figured out. Uh, he has because he has such good balance because he has such good touch. I'm not real worried about it. 
Um, the guy that stood out was AJ Griffin, I would say, and not in the most positive way. Uh, the people who had seen him this year told me he did not look uh, particularly explosive and bouncy. Um, when you saw him at lower levels, and I think you'd agree with this because you saw him probably even more than I did at lower levels. You saw a guy that was explosive and powerful and like really like shot off the ground quite a bit. Uh, this version of AJ Griffin is more just like playing off of two feet, right? Uh, attacking off the bounce, laying the ball up. Uh, doesn't really have that same level of vertical pop. Doesn't really have that same level of like first step quickness. Like what, what do you think of him? Totally. I, I've waited for that guy to kind of come back all the way and it hasn't happened. And, and I don't know if it is. And he had a couple big hustle plays for, for buckets early on. Um, <clears throat> but it wasn't like the type of skill that you see or anticipate from an NBA wing. When he goes, there, there's a few times I put up my notes. I thought his feet were kind of like stuck in the mud on drives, like a, a little yeah. bit heavy, heavy footed. And I, I had, I wasn't there for that game, but I, I've seen him a couple times in person. I saw him this year at, at Boston College. Is he a difference maker if that shot isn't falling? And I'm not underselling the shot. And, and people, as soon as you say that, come right back at he's 49% from the field, 45% from three. It's an all-time shooting number performance from a freshman. You guys are crazy. But just like what's his, his value then? If it's, if it's one assist per game, I, I don't love the defense. He can't really drive, as you alluded to. The athleticism on the break seems a little bit lost. I, I have questions. I, I don't have as many as I did in December, but uh, I do have questions. Yeah, I do too. Uh, I, I don't really think of him as like a potential Shaden Sharp, like a, a candidate to be taken over Shaden Sharp at this point, like having seen this up close. Yeah. And you know, it, it really could just be tentativeness, right? Like there, there's a real case for that, right? To me, it seemed like more he was making a conscious choice to play off of two feet to adjust his game to a different in a different way, right? Still, like it's not a it's not a great sign that he's had to do that. I think that he's the guy that's probably going to be most important for teams to get an up close look at in the pre-draft process, like go through the workouts, see what he has athletically, because if that's not quite there anymore, uh, you know, and he's had multiple, what, what is it? Ankle injuries. Yeah. Plus he had the uh, meniscus injury in yeah, the preseason. preseason. Is that what it was? I think it was. Yeah. So maybe it was a knee injury of some sort. I thought it was meniscus. It might not have been. Um, I, I don't necessarily want to put words in my mouth. I'm kind of flying blind on this because my internet's terrible here and don't really want to like hit the Google for it. Um, if he's not that level of athlete and you and I have like talked about the shot in general, it's a very wide base. <clears throat> yeah. And I do worry a little bit about like how that translates to the next level in terms of attacking off the bounce and consistently making plays, uh, you know, playing off of uh, the closeout, right. And being able to attack consistently. I don't know. I'm, 
This game cooled me off on AJ Griffin a little bit uh, in a way that was disconcerting to me. Like, like I, you and I talked on the last podcast that we did about like, are we sure Mark Williams isn't Duke's second best prospect? Like, I think those, I think that chatter is going to get real as the draft process continues forward. It is, and and you caught a a bad game to kind of have that internal dialogue with Mark Williams just in foul trouble, and he was out within like the first four minutes or so. I, I still took away from that game the type of player that Mark Williams is, just rim running, rebounding, yeah. got some dumb fouls. Like I, I wasn't too worried about that because the stuff he wasn't able to fulfill, like <clears throat> you know, you've seen it, it was foul trouble, similar to like the Chet thing. All right, you get some foul trouble. That's not like really his game. For AJ Griffin, yep. that kind of is his game. Like you saw the whole thing throughout the course, and when you you have a, a few quick fouls to come back in, you're like a little bit tentative. He took Mark Williams took that like risky charge to start the second half where they blow the whistle. It's like please don't be like please don't get him like another one right here. So I, I didn't see that as much. I, I have Mark Williams late lottery right now. I have AJ Griffin sliding down a little bit, but it's a conversation and it's gonna kind of have to be flushed out a little bit and. We, we jumped here some, and, and we were texting. I don't know if it was at the game or, or the next day. I felt similar concerns about Paolo's defense on the perimeter. And, and you said you didn't have, like, as many. But there is few where he messed up, like, ball screen coverage, and it gave R.J. Davis an open look. The next play, he, like, yeah. ran into a ball screen. He was late to help on a Brady Manic drive. He was torched off the drill by Caleb Love. He couldn't guard a lot of time size or speed. So, like, who does he cover if that's where yeah. it is? Like, he struggled in the post, and then he struggled on the perimeter. And that one play that stands out where he, like, it was him. There's a miscommunication between him and Trevor Keels, if I'm not mistaken. And the ball swung. Yeah, he closes this, I out. I think you're just, like, wrong about there. this, by the way. And then he does, like, a circular route, like, around. He's, like, trailing and puts his hand up. And then he also had that – was it a turnover? No, no. He he saved it under the his own bat, the yes. other basket. He threw it back in. I'm yeah, just like, yeah, dude, yeah. like, come on. Like, be better. Uh, the offense yeah, I was the, fine the, with. I mean, he hit that like nasty pull up. He was good off the bounce. It, it needs to be tightened up a little bit. But the defense is what what worries me. You can say we're nitpicky, and I've I've kind of readjusted. I have him at four now on my board, but those are the questions that he's going to have to somehow answer too. Yeah, the one that you say with Keels, like I don't even think that's really Paulo's fault. Like that's purely Keels. Like Keels thought it was supposed to be an X out situation where he's supposed to shoot down to the corner yeah. and Paulo's supposed to shoot up to the top uh, against love to be able to defend him. But in reality, the reason it wasn't an X out situation was because uh, Paulo was there. Like there was no, it wasn't a scramble situation. So Keel's X out in a non scramble situation. It set Paulo up for failure to go up to the top of the key. Now, I, I mean, look, did Paulo play well? No, he didn't. Like, I, I didn't think he played well in defense at all. And those, that's the reason that I'm going to have him three or four on my board at the end of the day. I think he's pretty clear level below Chet and Jabari. Uh, whether or not it'll be three or four, I don't know. But the defense is a real concern. Like, no, no ifs, ands, or buts about that. I think that there is no, uh, like, no, no possible way that you come to any other conclusion that, like there's a chance he's going to be a real liability. Now, having said that, it is easier to hide guys that are really smart, that make the right rotations generally in help side coverages, that don't like break down your defense essentially. Because I don't think he breaks down your defense. No. I think that he is just not like a plus defender by any stretch and sometimes can get beaten off the bounce by smaller players. Um, 
I think he's definitely a four. Like there's no, I don't think you can play him at the five. I don't think he's good enough for him protector to do that. He's not vertical enough. He doesn't have enough length. Um, yeah, I, I think that we kind of know what Paulo is defensively at this point. It's probably not going to be a plus, but it's easier to hide guys that are six foot ten or six foot nine and know where they have to be because they're really smart, intuitive basketball players. And can be an isolation scorer. And he kind of adjusted too once he was going off the bounce. There, there was one where he like powered through, and I, I do think somehow we've undersold how strong he is too off the bounce. Like sometimes. It's not even bully ball. Just he'll be able to withstand some bumps, power through, finish. There's another, I forget if it was the first or second half. He drove hard right, was cut off, had like a really good pivot back for like a, a left-handed finish there too. So I, I don't want to completely crush him, but the defense was something that I was I was worried about before and just kind of on the same plane right now. Yeah, and, and we should mention what was my favorite moment of the Final Four. Brady Manick. Oh, God. <laughs> Comes around like the baseline. <laughs> Brady Manic comes around the baseline. <laughs> and Mo- great moments in like podcasting in, history. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, Brady Manic comes around the baseline and he's like in semi transition. I think it's RJ Davis is coming down the corner and uh, it's coming down the court. He catches. He like takes a pump fake. I think he dribbles once and like steps back, drills a corner three in Paulo's face, looks off into the crowd. Paulo's standing like right here. Brady Manic is like looking into the crowd, but like very clearly right in front of his face, yells, bang, bang, motherfucker, and then just walks off like it's nothing. Brady Manic rules. Like, yeah, that's that's that's, that's movie scene. That's a movie scene you see in a movie. It's like too corny. That would never happen. And, and he did it. And it Christian did. Brown did it the next game too. Uh, yeah. Brady Manic woke up in the second half when he did that. That changed a lot too. Yeah, like Brady Manic. Uh, Brady Manics was more movie. Christian Brown's was more just like, oh, this person can't feel his face right now. It <laughs> <laughs> like, was more imp- improv comedy gone bad. Like, okay, cut. Yeah. cut we're good. Christian like, Michael, Brown, like, like on, on the office, Michael Scott always had like guns. Like, do you have a gun? Yeah. Michael Scott is like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, away, I, I really, I really wonder that if you ask Christian Brown what he remembers about making that fadeaway three, like in the ensuing five seconds afterward, uh, with one second left on the shot clock, that was basically like the dagger for Kansas in that game. I think it put them up like seven or eight. I really wonder if he would go, I don't know. I blacked out for a second there. Probably. And he just like started screaming uh, down the other side of the court. He talks an incredible amount of shit. He rules. Which, Christian we, Brown. which we can appreciate here. Yeah, it's, on we appreciate it's on the scouting report. Yeah. Talks an incredible amount of shit is on the Christian <laughs> Brown scouting report. Um, let's talk about the UNC guys before we move on to the, well, wait, do, do we want to do the UNC guys? In the championship, let's do the UNC guys in the championship game. Um, okay. Do you want to talk about any of the any of the Villanova guys or any of Kansas Villanova? Um, not necessarily. I mean, did anything stand out for you for the the Villanova run besides what we talked about? I think we talked what pre Final Four about Jermaine Samuels and Colin Gillespie. It wouldn't necessarily like bet against him. Would say Rudy got some sheesh. We wouldn't bet against him, but I, I nothing really did too much to kind of like skyrocket them one way or kind of go down the other on a, on a decline. That That's probably a fair assessment, right? Yeah, no, like I, I think they're both like potential two way guys at this point. Yeah. Um, 
I, I like Holland a little bit more than what I think the general consensus is. I like Jermaine Samuels like somewhat, although his shot looked way worse in person than what I, than what I thought it would. Uh, it's very line drivey, yeah. and I worry about that moving back to the NBA line. Like he's going to have some work to do, I think, to really iron out that three point shot, which he needs to play at the next level. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think that this is a Villanova team that Jay Wright did a very, very good job of uh, figuring out. I, I thought that Jay Wright did a really good job coaching in that game. Basically, as soon as he pulled Eric Dixon out to like mm-hmm. the top of the key and forced David McCormick to guard in space more often, it really put Kansas in a bind uh, offensively and defensively as well. Uh, the problem was that Eric Dixon just wasn't even looking at the basket. So the way Kansas adjusted back was just like, well, if you're not even going to look at the basket, we're not going to respect this in any way. And really what Villanova needed was Eric Dixon to be willing to take like three or four threes and make two or three of them. Uh, And he just wasn't willing to do that for whatever reason. So, uh, you know, this was an under-talented Villanova team that made the final four. And uh, Jay Wright did a really good job with them. And great guard play will get you there. Obviously, no Justin Moore played a significant, significant, significant role because, like, Brian Antoine should not have been on the court in that game. And Chris Archidiakono just wasn't quite ready for that moment at this point. Same with Brian Antoine. Like, it it just wasn't there yet. Um, The last thing on the Final Four I want to ask you is just, like, how do you feel about, like, this whole Coach K thing? Like, it's done, it seems like. We're moving into the John Shire uh, era here. He's about to hear about whether or not he gets Tyrese Proctor and another really good freshman or another really good recruit. Uh, yeah, that's McKenzie on the McLeod, team. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, what? whether it ends up. With and the number one recruiting but, class in America walking in in, what, two months, too? So he, he has a good head start right. there it's it's and both of those guys are currently listed as 2023 prospects the proctor thing is weird to me i don't know why he's staying in the class of 2023 he's eligible for the right. draft in 2023 um yeah that's he said that he's staying in 2023 publicly so I, i'm taking him at his word on that but it's just weird to me that he's choosing to do that I saw him at a prep tournament this year in Rhode Island too. He probably needs the the year of college, just still a little bit slight and could really shoot it, makes good plays off the bounce, but I'd prefer him for a little bit more time. For Coach K, it's it's changing the guard. It's weird. Like I don't remember, nor should I, I'm not that old. Like I don't remember Duke anything other than Coach K, yeah. Mike Krzyzewski and, and everybody else around him. And I was built up a staff with with former players and and the brotherhood. So it's it's definitely gonna be different. Um it's like a lot of places are, are kind of becoming that. And Hubert Davis bounced back pretty quickly with the Carolina roster after Roy Williams stepped down and, and called it a career. And John Shire is a very good coach. He's got a very good recruiting class coming in. So I give him the benefit of the doubt that he's going to keep that thing on the right direction too. I think this is going to be fine. That, that's I, my Yeah, take. that's the takeaway. Like, I think Shire is going to be really good. Look, I, I don't mean this like totally disrespectfully to Kay, but like you talk to other ACC coaches over the last five years and they felt like what Duke was doing was not exactly modern nor complicated uh, in terms of coaching. 
and in terms of what they were running, in terms of sets they were running, in terms of anything that uh, the coaching staff was responsible for in terms of putting these players in position to succeed. It's not to say he's doing a bad job because there's way more to coaching than X's and O's, keeping guys motivated, keeping guys together. Uh, those are things that Coach K is great at. But in terms of the X's and O's of basketball, I do wonder if getting a more modern mind in there could be like a breath of fresh air for Duke basketball in some regard. Uh, obviously, the recruiting has not dropped off at all. Uh, no, at this it's point. like sort in of fact, a, sort of improved, but shockingly so. And not right. shockingly, seeing like the, the history of recruiting that that John Chires had there and, and Nolan Smith, who just left to go to Louisville. But it didn't take this, this enormous dip down where it's like, oh my gosh, like they don't have a top twenty kid. Like, no, they have one through four right. in this upcoming class, and and you allude to it in twenty twenty three, they might have two more of those guys committing like within a week. So they're right. they're fine. The cover is not bare. He's not walking away, and it's not the the Matt McMahon rebuild LSU. Like, hey, Will Wade's fired, and every single guy's leaving. Good luck filling thirteen spots. Like, they're okay. They're a kid didn't decommit or transfer because Mike Shashevsky was stepping down. Right. Like if Duke gets back Trevor Keels and Jeremy Roach next year, that team has a real case to be the number one team in the country. They have Derek Whitehead. They have Kyle Filipowski. They have Derek Lively coming in. Uh, you can hopefully fill with a couple of transfers. Uh, that is a loaded, loaded starting five. That is an incredible starting five potentially uh, for a college basketball team. So I don't know. Like I feel like they're not going to, miss much of a beat like maybe this is me just having faith in john shire to some extent like i I think that uh until we see otherwise i'm not sure why we would think it would be much of a coaching downgrade in terms of x's and o's and in terms of recruiting at the very least yeah i'm totally with you there okay let's take a quick commercial break And then we will jump into the national title game and jump into a really kind of uh, like unprecedented, really, Kansas championship. Yeah. Okay, Penny, we're back. The... The COVID game is here. We're just rolling right along. We're rolling Rolling. through it. Kansas and North Carolina. Uh, Fun title game, obviously. North Carolina came out. You you know what game it reminded me of? Um, The Michigan-Louisville game from years ago when Spike Albrecht hit the threes. Oh, sweet Spike Albrecht, yes. Yeah. They came out hot. Um, They did. Yeah, they came out hot, and then Louisville came back and – one mm-hmm. after Rick Pitino like adjusted to what Michigan was doing, shut off the tap at the three point line and figured out how to guard them and then sped it up and like really sped Michigan up and figured out how to score. That's kind of exactly what happened here. I thought that Hubert Davis and North Carolina did an incredible job early in this game of using Kansas's deficiencies against them. And then Bill Self came out on the other half of it, realized that they could speed up North Carolina, really push the ball in transition because they had, frankly, the best transition attack in college basketball this season. And then on top of it, 
they just completely uh, smothered them defensively in such a substantial way. Uh, it was very, very impressive. I thought that this was this game particularly, I think is the one that Bill Self will be remembered most for in his career. Uh, this is the game where given the retirement of coach K given some of the other people in college basketball, Roy Williams that are no longer around. I think he is to be honest, even above Jay Wright, I think he is the best coach in college basketball. Like if we had to be completely real about it, if I had to win one game and I had to pick a coach, I would pick Bill Self. Like I think that his adjustments, the sets he ran coming out of timeout, uh, the way he utilized David McCormick away from the basket, the way he inverted Kansas's offense to bring McCormick out and to post Christian Brown, uh, I thought it was all absolutely tremendous and pushed Kansas back into that game. And then there's that clip going around on Twitter where I think they're down like three at like the 12 minute mark with 12 minutes left in the second half where you can see Bill self mouthing the words, we're going to win. Yeah. We're going to win this game. We're going to win this game or in this game. It's a classic. Like, are you mouthing? I love you or onion juice. It looks the same way, but you can, you can spin it however you want. It was a bill self masterclass. It it really was. And my favorite part of it was the comeback and the the steady, just you you see it building and it comes. And then bill self is as good of a coach there is in the country and forever. They played high-low. They played two bigs, big four, big five, free throw line, hit the post, go opposite, did a fantastic job. He changed it a few years ago where he played a little bit more spread. He played Jalen Wilson at the five at six foot seven. He inverted what he did because that was the personnel that he had. And for all the Kansas fans who gave Dave McCormick all the grief the last two years, he's yep. unplayable, he can't be on the court, it was poetic. Well, and – and gave Bill Self all the grief for continuing to push the ball into David McCormick. Oh, yeah. So we, we get here. Game's on the line. National championship. One possession left to score, to win the game, to put it away. I felt it was poetic justice. They threw that thing into the post, and David McCormick went and got one. I'm like, that is the most Bill Self Kansas thing ever. And it was yeah. so perfect, so fitting, where it's like, just trust it. Like, we're going to get there. And when it actually mattered, when the game was online, the final four, New Orleans, 70,000 people, they throw it into Dave McCormick and he scores. So the four year thing has been worth it. So for everyone yelling about Dave McCormick, unplayable, he stinks. What are we doing here? The same thing with Remy Martin. Like, Remy Martin carried them a lot of stretches in that game and the game yeah. before. And fans are yelling at him, why do we take this guy, preseason player of the year? Ends up with 2,000 points, and those two are like your two-headed monster to to push this to actually cut down the nets. I, I thought uh, from a coaching perspective, that was like uh, as high as it gets, as good as it gets there. Yeah, and uh, my friend over at The Athletic, C.J. Moore, he brought up what is a pretty remarkable stat and what makes this essentially an unprecedented Kansas national champion. Since 1999, up until this Kansas team, do you know what the minimum number of RSCI top 100 recruits were on a single team that won a national championship? The lowest number. The lowest number of uh, what was the number? Like RSCI top 100 recruits. Oh, the low. So that includes the bench, then not the starters. Includes the bench. The lowest number. Uh, six 
four was the okay. lowest number. Do you know how many are on this Kansas team? It's probably zero, right? There's two. Two. Well, KJ Adams probably was was high enough, right? KJ was not. David Christian. McCormick was one of them. David, David McCormick, McCormick was like a and borderline five star recruit. Uh, you said you said top one hundred fifty. I'm sorry, my brain is not top one hundred. So Christian Brown had to be. He he had to be like seventy five ish or so. Right outside. I think he was like oh, one hundred five or something like that. So who am I missing? Remy Jalen Rem- Wilson. Yeah. See, like, okay. So it depends kind of on the site because yes, Jalen Wilson was higher, but Christian Brown's knocking the door. Regardless, the point remains that it's it's development more than anything. And I had this conversation yeah. earlier today about with a friend of mine about Oshai Baji. And right. I, what kind of grinds my gears and as being out on the circuit and doing mostly grassroots stuff is when people hate on rankings. People got it all wrong. Uh, he, he's a top 30 kid. What do we do? I don't think the rankings people got Oshai Baji wrong. Like that's who he was. Yeah, some schools yeah. could have like took and, taken a chance on him, but he was like the eighth man on a, his Mocan team, had a good high school season. Norm Roberts watches him. Again, says, hey, coach, you got to come watch him. They developed him. He was going to redshirt. He was going to play his freshman year. Then they ran some injuries he played. was, like, really good. Well, wh- where was, was – he was He was like, going to either UMKC or Oregon State or something, wasn't he? Yeah, he had, like, a, a lot of offers kind of, like, in that range. And then last minute decided to to go to Kansas. I don't know if he walked on initially or, or He didn't or walk was. on, but, yeah. But it was, was like, a late scholarship. Yeah. It, it wasn't like, hey, you're, you're going to come in and, and play and earn it. So, again, more credit to, to Bill Self and his staff for getting that guy to where he is now. And, and he got a lot better. Uh, and the, the last rankings thing I hate is when people say he was ranked 273rd. <laughs> On no one ranks 273. People go to like 150, and then they put a bunch of names down right. there, and you you can like populate and make up a number for it. Uh, but yeah, they, it's not necessarily the traditional five star loaded squads, but they they know what they are. They know their brand. They know the pieces that fit. They did well in the transfer portal with Remy. It, it paid off, and here we are cutting down nets. Cheers. Well, and and you know, like what is ultimately the most obvious reason why recruiting rankings matter. The exact conversation we're having right now that no team up until this Kansas team has won with less than four top 100 mm-hmm. recruits. Like it's very obvious. And I would imagine that the four is the minimum. I would imagine most teams have like six and seven guys. Like Correct. This. Yeah. So that's the most obvious reason that recruiting rankings matter. Like just straight up. Like they, they, they do, but like don't don't get tied to that number. And and totally 100%. friends that I have in the industry yeah. who who do this for a living, they get frustrated and rightfully so when people say, Hey, you got it wrong. Well, no, Jay Nivey got better. Like Jay Nivey like wasn't this guy. Like that's what happens. Blake Wesley has gotten better. Like he wasn't a lottery pick out of high school. He was a borderline top one hundred guy. And and yeah, the it doesn't well in trajectory too, development like, doesn't stop like when you're when you're just a, a senior in high school, like yeah, Blake was, well, he was at South Bend High School. Like he wasn't necessarily out on the circuit, like blowing up. But but now we're talking about him as a top twenty pick. And Blake Wesley like didn't even get a chance to go out on the circuit that year as well. Right. Like he might have gotten better, and recruiter recruiting rankings people might have identified that he had gotten better, yeah. and he could have ended up being like a top thirty kid in the country if recruiters or recruiting rankings people would have gotten a chance to see him. The the last ones are like totally a throwaway. I think like last year's, like there are going to be guys that pop up just because recruiting rankings evaluators didn't get a chance to see those guys. Like it's, it's a bit unfair to them on some, in some respect. Um, 
the recruiting rankings guys do a great job. Like I don't, I, I certainly would never uh, trifle with them by any stretch. No, like I, I, I might disagree with them, but I think they all disagree with each other, which is part of what makes evaluation such a healthy environment in many ways. Totally. And with Oshai, with, with two games here, and you saw both, right? Yeah. Yeah, you were there Monday night. Yeah. So. No, I, I was not in. I was not live Monday night. I was in Portland by Monday. That's right. You're you're on the uh, the COVID Express there. So yeah. for the for the first game though, I think with Ochai making those first couple shots like mattered, and it stood out to me that he didn't force. Like that first game, he hits his first two. The next possession, um, he like reversed. He got on the break and reversed the ball to Christian Brown for a bucket. The next time he reversed in the perimeter. He had the assist to Dan McCormick when he was like chased off the line. Somebody else stepped up. I like the simplicity of some of his passes and rotations. He went, I don't know, like cold. Like didn't even like really take a shot with 10 minutes left in the national championship game and one most outstanding player because I think you have to vote like beforehand. <laughs> but, but, but the first game, uh, he took a, it was like, a wild a, choice. Wild, it, wild it was, choice. it was. He, he took a charge at the seven minute mark. He had a big block. He snuck on transition for a foul. As an evaluation, I, I still don't see him as like an ISO self-creator guy. I, I sort of feel the same way about Ben Matherin. It's it's like 3 and D. And Oshai, it, I didn't realize how limited with his left hand he was. And then for as explosive as an athlete he can be, like they'll run lob alley plays for him. If he's on a fast break, he's going to do something crazy. He doesn't have that same pop like with a guy on his hip when he's going to the rim, which is a little bit strange. He, he's great in transition. I don't want to overthink it. I don't want to overproject it. We've been on this train for about a year. It's a slow build. He's probably a, a late lottery ish type guy from ten to seventeen. Yeah, he'll go. So, yeah, ten to twenty was going to be where I said. So yeah, he'll, he'll go somewhere in that range. He's a three and D guy. Uh, the defense is good. It's not like overwhelming. He is six foot five. He's not like six foot eight. Like you know, OG Ananobi or anything like that. Like he'll be fine. He will get by defensively on one through three. Uh, he can at least like, he's like, he's strong. He's like 220 pounds. He'll manage against fours and like, won't be a total liability. Uh, yeah. I, I think he's really good. I, I don't, like, it's just so translatable. The skill set is so translatable to the NBA that I don't know. We've been talking about him all year as a guy that we like Forever. more than the consensus. Yeah, and the consensus really. has finally come around to us. So, it's- yeah, well, we'll leave it that. I, I see a lot of consensus now that's sort of like the board we've crafted. And I don't know, it's it's maybe it's just more film, more opportunities for guys to have these moments <clears throat> that it makes more sense. Uh, the guy that I haven't been quite as high on, and I'm still like not wildly high on, is Christian Brown. Uh, he seems to have emerged as a real potential first-round pick. I... I, I love I love the way he plays basketball. I think he's really smart. I love the intensity. I love the shit talkery. Like that dude is not afraid of anything. I just he looks small out there. Like he mm. does not play like he's six foot five or six foot six. He plays like he's like six foot three. Not in the half. And yeah. <laughs> I don't know. He just does not look. Like it's weird. It's weird watching him. He's good. He's he knows how to play. Like he's really smart. He's always in the right places. He is like a very good rebounder uh, for a two guard as well. Like he puts his nose in it. He's not afraid of contact. He is legit. Really, really tough. It, it's just, I don't know. He's like 
a good shooter, not a great shooter. He's an okay passer, not an awesome passer like Franz Wagner was. He's an okay defender, not like an awesome defender or anything, again, like Franz Wagner was. Uh, I don't know. I'm just like not – I'm not quite there with him because like the idea is like, oh, yeah, connective tissue piece, like he'll figure it out. Like I'd take him in the second round for sure, but like I just can't quite get there with him yet. I have late first, early second. He thought he cranked it up late with a couple big baskets in the second half. I was turned off slowly to you about how Brady Manick ate him up on a couple of drives, possessions where we're not really talking about Brady Manick's defense, so to say. I mean, he's a great shooter, but the defense is a question mark. I, I did like it how much of a gamer he is when it gets tight. Like, he smelt blood in the water when he can get on the break. He's like, good, I can yeah. take it, run, do my thing, great. He's a rotational guy. I think you take in that range from 20 to 30, and he's not this player, so don't go nuts. And I don't know with code if you're allowed to go nuts right now. But it reminds me some of, like, a guy like Ayodesumu or a guy like Herb Jones, where you take at like 25 to 35. Oh, he's nowhere near defensively with those guys, though. Hold on. Hold on. Not those players. I know. The expectations won't be there for him to be a top 10 talent is my point. Like, you get picked higher in the lottery. I went too crazy. I'm coughing now. (laughs) Your body's shutting down. This has been the Game Theory Podcast. My point is, it, it... it, it, it's, it helps that he has really good piece around him. If he goes in like a playoff team, the 25 to 35 range, if he goes higher and some people have him like 20s, the low teens, uh, he's not the type of guy that's going to like push over the edge. Let him be a complimentary piece off the bench that can help the, the engine keep running when you're resting your starters. And if he ends up being better than that, great. But I don't want to put too much stock into it and hope that he's going to be this kind of like transformative guy that we all missed on. Like, I, I don't see that. So like, I've seen him be called like kind of a safe prospect because of kind of what you're saying. Right. I don't see that with him. Like let's say that. So he's not like a great ball handler, right? Like he can handle out in transition, but he's not a great, like, you know, he can't take anyone off the bounce. Right. Yep. Uh, He is in half half court. Yeah. Shifting defense and transitioning can do a move or two and go. Yeah. Um, In the half court as a shooter, he is okay, has a low release point on the shot, can knock them down off the catch. And some some movement, too. It's not just like catching up. It's like a crank. The legs are kind of funky. Like the release is not always consistent. Yeah. Like, so let's say he ends up being a 35% three-point shooter, which is a – I'm not saying that's what he's going to be. I'm saying it's a possible outcome. 35% three-point shooter – doesn't really take anyone off the bounce. And then, like, again, I'm not convinced that guys in the NBA don't just, like, push him around. He won't, like, he will try as hard as he can to not let that happen. But he's pretty skinny. Like, he's he plays smaller than being six foot six defensively. Uh, as a rebounder, he doesn't. But, like, I don't know, man. Like, I think that there's a little bit more risk with him than what meets the eye. And I wonder, we've been waiting to talk about the Malachi effect with someone else mm. uh, in this national championship game. Yes, he's he's next. <laughs> I wonder if Christian is the sneaky one with this. Like Malachi, where light, the national, not, not, not the full effect, but a light effect. The national title game is pushing up uh, – 
Christian's draft stock to a place where uh, it maybe shouldn't quite be. But maybe I'm just low on him. Like maybe I need to go back and like watch as much defensive tape of Christian Brown as I can to like understand something that I've never quite gotten. Interesting theory. And my rebuttal question to you is, in between breaths here, if Duke had won, would we be having the same kind of Malachi effect conversation about Wendell Moore, who we didn't even mention earlier, I think had 13-5-4 throughout the year or something like that, as this type of guy in the late 20s, 30s, gets a little bit of an extra bump? Because I've kind of paired those two together for most of the season. Yeah. I, I didn't really like what I saw from Wendell Moore uh, yep. in that Final Four game. To be honest, I thought that the times where Duke was worst in that game was when Wendell decided to try and take over a little bit. Um, they needed him out there. Like he is a useful college basketball player for sure. And I think he has a chance to be a useful NBA player. If the shot goes, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I've just never really seen it enough athletically with him. He looks like an NBA player. Like he's six foot five has super long arms. Um, doesn't have that vertical pop, not really a great shooter. His, his, he defends well, like he's consistent in rotation. He is a smart basketball player. He makes the right read offensively. I just worry about the athleticism if he doesn't shoot it. Uh, his, his goal for the next three months or two months or whatever should be to be an elite shooter. Uh, yeah. that, that should be what he works on. Uh, yeah, I, I don't rule him out, but that's another guy I have like top ten picks of the second round, basically. Yeah, I'm late, late first, early second with him. But yeah. let's go to your let's um, go to real Malachi effect guy. Potential. I mean, it's Caleb Love, who's like the sure. ultimate Malachi effect guy, down to the fact that Malachi Richardson, I think, is the last person to be drafted in the first round after having shot under forty percent from two point range over the course of his entire season, yeah. like Caleb Love did this year. Yeah, well, Caleb Love. And uh, I don't know if we talked about it or, or tweeted or something. It, it is sort of like the guy we thought he'd be out of high school. If I told you in 2019 he'd be competing for a national championship as a sophomore, it would make sense. I don't think you'd see this is the player, envision this is the the Caleb Love that would be doing it. And I, I'm I'm still lower I mean, for all the deep daggers and momentum shifting plays uh, as being a still sub 40% shooter from three and from the field. It scares me. And I'm not going to take away the 30 ball against UCLA or, or 28 against Duke. Uh, asking us to be realistic with his draft stock, he's still six for 28 from three his last three games. He was five for 24 in the national championship yeah. game. Negative assisted turnover ratio in the tournament. It's just not steady up as a point guard. Like the numbers and the tape don't support it all of a sudden. Like we missed on a, a first round guy. Not always the best shots, but that's the guy. Again, in, in high school, would take some, miss some. You got to live with it a little bit. Not great out of pick and roll, still low finishing by the rim, but did have a great scoring run here and catapulted them into the national championship game, which I didn't think would happen. Yeah, he's going to be outside of the top fifty for me. I know that. Uh, how high? I don't like. Is is he a potential two way guy? Probably. Like, I think he's probably going to have a two-way grade for me. And the reason for that is that a lot of the shots that he makes are legitimate NBA-level shots, uh, like the jump shots he makes, like coming off of a ball screen, firing in Mark Williams's face, uh, getting in isolation against someone, going right to left, left to right, you know, right to left between the legs, step back, fire three, 
right? Like th- that's the kind of stuff that he can do that very few other players in this class really like, frankly, flash all that often. Having said that, he made in that Duke game, like three or four of the most like mind numbing, like disaster level turnovers where he like literally oh, just yeah. threw it to Duke. Uh, that the was, it was just really, really bad. Uh, he's not a point guard. He's a pure two guard. He has gotten better defensively to where I think that like, has a chance to not be a liability on that end. Uh, not a point guard though, not efficient enough as a shot maker yet to make up for the significant liability. He is as a scorer on the interior. He can't finish right now. Like he can't finish against college level length. I think he has no shot right now to finish against NBA level length. He could improve that. Like Mm -hmm. some of his body control stuff, some of his shot making acumen, some of his touch, I think, showcases that this is a person who could improve that stuff. But right now, it's just not there. And because of that, there's just no way I think that you can have a top 50 grade on him. So I I have one for you. You you quiz me and stump me. I don't think I'll stump you because you're the master at this. So Caleb Love, 15.9 points, 3.4 rebounds, 3.6 assists, 2.7 turnovers, 38 from two. 36 from three. That's prospect A. Prospect B, 17 points per game, 6.2 rebounds, 4.7 assists, 2.7 turnovers, 50% from two, 27% from three. Who is prospect B? Who is prospect B? The 27% from three number is probably Mm. the giveaway. 17 points means it's not Trevor Keels. I'll give you a little uh, clue. I'll give you a clue. Yeah, he, did yeah, not, yeah. he did not play college basketball this year. Oh, it's Shaden Hardy then. No, it is Jean Montero. So with oh, okay. Caleb Love yeah. being, he is about two years older. His birthday is 8-27-01. Jean Montero is 7-3-03. Sell me on, and I'm, I'm saying with you on, on Caleb Love. I think I'm lower on Montero than a lot of people. So kind of what's yeah. the sell on that, not transition too hard, but like why is Montero 30 to 40 spots higher than consensus, I'd say, on Caleb Love? Uh, I don't have an answer to that. Uh, yeah. I, look, you're, you're talking to someone who is John Montero, again, like 30 to 40 and probably has right. Caleb Love, you know, 60th, something like that. But you, you know what? You're saying like 30 to 40 spots higher, and I think that's reasonable. Like, you know, I, I have John Montero is a bit better of a ball handler. I think he's a bit better of a shooter. Uh, I think his touch in terms of like floater game and stuff is more real. And I think he's a much better distributor yes, is what I would yes. say. Yeah, and, and younger. Uh, he's two years younger. I hope the development there. This segment would have worked a lot better if you went to the world's practice at, uh, <laughs> at right, Summit yeah. where, where he was. So it fell a little flat here. But worth mentioning, still worth mentioning, because most most places, and again, they're just mock draft boards. These aren't consensus actual NBA boards. You see Montero in the twenties, and in most places, Caleb Love is the the fifties. Yeah, um, here's the other name, and this can transition us out of the national title game. Yeah. Oh, well, no, let, let's not transition there yet, because uh, we should talk about Armando Baycott, like 
first guy in NCAA tournament history to have six double doubles. Uh, obviously proved himself as a warrior. Played through an ankle injury in the national title game until he rolled the ankle again. On a floorboard, I, too, by the way. Like, I saw the board as yeah. an event operator, uh, as an event operator, like my heart drops. I'm like, that is my nightmare. The guy had the, the double double record before halftime, too. That, that was the best. Yeah, part. unbelievable. Like he already had 10 and 10, like before half. And I, I, any guy could play for me, be on my team that says, like, they asked him the day before, like, you going to play? It's like, yeah, they'd have to cut my leg off for me not to play. Like, well, no, I like and that. I'll give I, you, I, I, I do like that guy, but I, the the rebounding like no debate physicality no debate but some of the like finishing stuff the shooting like it's that's ways ways way yeah i'll give you like an inside thing from just having seen it like in person so he rolls the ankle originally comes back into the game in the duke game right mm-hmm. when he's sitting at the standing at the scorer's desk you've seen the clip of him just going like fuck it right <laughs> oh yeah yeah so What's happening there is Caleb Love is at half court, like in the middle of the court, and he's asking him, like, hey, you good? And that's what Armando Baycott's response was to. He was just saying, fuck it. Like, there was no – like, it's not like he was, you know, just out there saying to someone. Like, his teammate was asking him, you know, hey, are you good? Like, what's the deal here? And that's what his response was to that. Like – yeah, just the, the ultimate warrior in this game, like ultimate the, warrior at the final four. Yeah, and and that that team really they they gave it everything they had. Caleb Love has this unbelievable scoring run. Baycock goes full superhuman rebounder. Puff Johnson like exploded after like a, a few baskets and a stop. Like they they did. It's it's as cliche as it comes, but I felt like they left it out there. They emptied the tank that game. Yeah, and then we had Hubert Davis going nuts on live TV. Oh, my gosh. It's, early, too. It's like, yeah. dude, slow down. Like, he had the Red Bull too early in the night. We have four more hours out here. Bye. This is I, live I, action, I baby. I love yeah. it. Oh, my God. What a – Hubert Davis seems like the best to play for. Just – that that is that is a dude that just seems great. Uh, he, he, he rules. Um, do we think our – I look – I don't really see Armando Baycott as like a high level NBA player. Uh, he's an undersized center. The thing that gives me pause is he has really improved as a rim protector over his time at North Carolina. Like he is constantly available now. Like he is tough to finish over now. Um, I still can't quite get there because I don't think he has good enough touch on the interior. Don't think he's a good enough yeah. free throw shooter. Don't think he really has not enough of a chance to like add a perimeter game at all. I don't know though. Like I, he, he will probably be in my top 100. I will say now, if he decides to declare for this draft, if I was him, I would go back to UNC. I would make all of the money in the world doing NIL stuff. Yeah. I, I would think he can probably make more money on NIL than he can playing, you know, as a two way guy next year at this point, um, just given the run that he went on the NCAA tournament. And he and- plays at North Carolina, legitimate like blue blood of the you know sport. Uh, I would do that. And frankly, like if he can lead them back to a national title game, like with RJ Davis and with some more recruit, uh, transfers and stuff, like uh, it, he could go down as one of like the five best Tar Heels of all time. If he stays Ooh. there for two more years. I mean, look like it's, it's not yeah, like we're talking all time Tar Heels. I mean, because what, like, he, he could the enter rim. the hands, he could enter the Hansbro mold pretty easily, I think. I'll, I'll give you that. But top five Tar Heels, that's tough. I mean, you're you're not getting past Jordan, right? 
No, no, no chance. You're, that's why I didn't say so, pass. Like, there's no way you're getting <laughs> past Jordan. Top, top 10-ish. Yeah, top 10-ish is fair. Yeah, but, like, it's funny. Like, I, I was talking to someone yesterday about, like, Drew Timmy's decision. So, like, if you're Drew Timmy, if I'm him, I frankly am going back to Gonzaga because I think it's more profitable for him, A, to make more – he'll make more money off of NIL next year than he will as, like, a two-way guy in the NBA. B – He'll make more money long term if he can take like it's worth it for him to take the fifteen percent chance that he can lead Gonzaga to a national title, or even say that's like a seven percent chance that he right. can lead Gonzaga to a national title. Because if he does, he is immediately the best Zag of all time. Immediately, three-time All-American leads Gonzaga to the national title game. He is unequivocally the best Zag of all time. He will be able to buy whatever bar he wants to in Spokane. <laughs> he will be able. I don't think to he's paying for never... any drinks or dinners out in Spokane either. Right, like forget, like not paying for drinks. He will purchase whatever he has to. Uh, it will all be his. But th- there's like no question he'll be unequivocally the best Zag of all time if he was to return and lead Gonzaga to their first national championship. Right. So like, if you're yeah, that guy, it's... it behooves you to return. I think. It it does. I don't want to say that Gonzaga win those clothes. I'll never say that. But they they had more pieces around him. I'd say the last two years for him to win the the national championship for just to close the Baycott loop. So better North Carolina guys. Hansboro, obviously, I'd say the cult hero. We we mentioned Jordan, Phil Ford, yeah. James Worthy. I mean, yeah, you, you get in that Antoine Jameson, Billy Cunningham, Sam Perkins type space air, yeah. maybe. Uh, but that's heavy. It's rarefied air up there. Yeah, but like if he if he stays for two more years, he would be the all time leading rebounder for sure. Like they're, they're like I can't, I can't imagine that he wouldn't be right. Mm-hmm. He would have to be somewhere like in the top like top ten in scoring, right? Like if he could lead them to a national title on top of that, I don't know, man. Like it, it would have to be high. He'd have to be very high. Top ten, top ten, yeah. Just top yeah. five is oof, it's tight. Yeah, but like to me. In a school like that, when you're not like the highest level NBA prospect, it's worth it more to you long term. And that's like what the advent of NIL has created now. It creates an incentive for you to essentially become like a superstar at your school and, 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 and uh, those like two a legend guys, at your school. And those two guys to me are, are much more than kind of the spin last year of, of EJ Liddell and of Hunter Dickinson. Like those are like this crop next year if drew timmy and armando baycock go back like that's the true like nil pitch appeal to both ncaa because right. they keep good players in college and for those guys to your point like if they get two-way money or they go overseas like that's not necessarily the life that you draw up just go be a, a cult hero for another year and line your pockets while you do it when's the basketball game? well and there's a third one there that's even bigger than those two in terms of like being nil superstar it's oscar at kentucky Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, for sure. I mean, he's the like he 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 would have a very real chance to be like a seven figure nil guy next year. Yeah, and the a shoe in first pick for every college basketball fantasy team ever. Like the the easiest yeah. like number one pick of all time. Yeah. Um. Hopefully, Oscar has all of his nil deal stuff figured out our Kyle Tucker at the athletic has written about it extensively. Uh, please follow him for anything you need. Uh, the last thing I want to talk about here was just some guys that have caught your eye that have declared for the draft. 
uh, over the last few days. Has anyone caught your eye? Uh, everyone's caught my eye because I, I started doing the math. And for all the people that are testing the waters, there's only 60 picks. I don't want to rule guys out. I mean, like Terry Taylor is playing really well in the NBA this year. I didn't have him as a, a top 60, top 75 guy. Like they made it. You can make it outside the top 60, but sort totally. of like understand what you're doing. Like the, the test to, to get the feedback and to go back. But when you jump in with two feet, like you better be ready because it's it's a cold world out there. So uh, a lot of names have – I haven't been like flabbergasted by anybody, put it that way. I mean, I, it's all been sort of appropriate, but I'm just more curious about the guys that did declare. What's the feedback they're looking for or or what what needs to be what pushes them over the edge to stay or, or to go? So two guys I'll, I'll just mention. So like Max Christie is testing the waters, right? Yeah. What would Max have to do in workouts or the combine or whatever to become a, a top 20 pick? I'm asking you. I don't, I don't like this. No, nothing like necessarily steps out. Like he goes and crushes a workout and shoots it like an uh, unbelievable clip and he's faster. He's a little bit more athletic. Does a team say, okay, we'll promise you in the top 25? Yeah, I think that for him, it's go and shoot the absolute lights out and showcase himself athletically. If he does those two things, like he probably goes somewhere in the top 35 at the end of the day. Which yeah, is so, which? Which for some guys, it's good. Top thirty-five, you get a promise and guarantee. Great. The other one stood out is Harrison Ingram. So he he's training, he's working out. He's not like an individual workout guy that's going to go in one and zero, oh, and a team yeah. says that's our guy. He's a five on five guy. So if you're putting your stock into five on five, which you have to go and play the combine, now you're at the mercy of who's on your team. Like you could have a a, a point guard from a lower level that just wants to chuck it. Like he might not be able to show. That sort of like high post, face up, dribble handoff, passing read stuff. So some of these guys, like I don't even know if they're going to have the right framework to to showcase what they want to to NBA personnel in order to get in the draft range that they seek to to be in in order to say like I'm leaving school, like I'm in. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Uh, I'm. I think you're 100 percent right on Harrison Ingram. Like I, I don't. I, it feels like for him the decision is just like am I in or am I out because. Like the thing that he could do, I guess, is go in and shoot the lights out in workouts, right? Yeah, like if he goes in and shoots the hell out of it, that would catch some people's eyes, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, athletically, he's not going to perform super well. Three on three games, like I think he'd probably be pretty okay in those just because he's big and long and can really pass it, right? Uh, but again, like he'd probably need to shoot it in those games. So, you know, it kind of all comes back to that with him, unfortunately. Uh, the one that caught my eye was the one that Sean Sharania reported today. Ryan Rollins is in this draft, baby. We're, uh, we're, 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 we're here. We're going, we're running. Yeah. Like that's a better prospect than Caleb Love. Hot take. There oh, yeah. it is. No, I don't know. Putting my chips is, down. Is it a hot take? I mean, you had him 30th prior to the tournament. I think maybe prior to March. I, I can't remember. But within the last 30 yeah. days. And, and he's prior to March, of, baby. <laughs> February 28th. Uh, it, the three point shooting that that's that's what I need. Everything else is there. You you've argued it would be translatable. Just hasn't necessarily done that. Uh, I like the the mid range stuff. I I do like the touch. I admire him for putting his name out there and saying I, I'm doing this. This is where I'm at. I I have him like forty low forties right now. Gets dicey in the second round. Is he a, a first round guarantee guy in your eyes? Not a first round guarantee. Uh, teams are hit or miss on him that I've talked to. They, they worry about the shot is yeah. the thing that comes up. Also some explosiveness questions. Right. 
I'm less worried about that because I think he's really strong and also has really good kind of change of pace that allows him to keep guys on his hip and to keep uh, defenders at bay. Uh, do I think he's like CJ McCollum esque? Uh, not really. I don't think. Ask. Like, ask if you want to say the mid-major e score, and that's the name in the in the interview that, yeah. that he said he wanted to be that type of player. That's great person to aspire to be, but that's also lofty. Like, CJ McCollum is really good. Twenty points per game. I, I do actually see like a lot of it outside of the three-point shot right now. The the problem is, I think CJ had a much much more functional shot to mm-hmm. pushing back to the three-point line and being like. CJ's turned into like a 39% three-point shooter on real volume off of pull-ups, right? Like, do I think Ryan Rollins is going to be that? Probably not, to be frank. Um, But I think he might be able to get to 35 on like reasonable volume, 36 on reasonable volume. Um, In the case of him, the stuff with McCollum that's interesting is the in-between game, the pull-up shooting from the elbows, floater game the finishing at the basket using his frame to protect the ball uh using his frame to change pace and kind of keep guys on his hip and be able to you know get into the paint with real polish and real footwork uh he he is a very very high level scorer the advanced numbers treat him well as a scorer because of that age and production combination it is hard to find guys that are teenagers who average 19 points a game uh, at the college level, just period, point blank. His He got to college a year early. He's a sophomore. He's kind of like a sleeper hiding in plain sight, in my my opinion, because of that. I was rooting for him to make the tournament, too. Like, that was a guy that I was kind totally. of hoping would have the Malachi effect, like, rolls out of the first round, somehow it's 38, and then they lose in the second. He has 17, but he has that first opening round game. They knock somebody off. We didn't get that. So you, you kind of have to rely on the, the older tape throughout the year and lean on the age a little bit. And that's why his metrics also pop analytically because he, he has the benefit of being a year or two years or even more younger than a lot of the guys similarly in his position in that grouping. Yep, totally. Okay, Penny, we're not going to do mailbag today because my body is uh, slowly but surely we're, shutting we're, down. We we're might... shutting down. You, you have the, the Mac icon right now saying, like, plug in your computer or this thing is turning off in 90 seconds. So I feel oh, like, no, that's literally, like, a, that's like our thing. Yeah, I have, like, a low battery thing coming up on my computer <laughs> for my phone. So we actually Perfect. do have to cut this. Yeah. Okay, we're uh, great. Penny, tell the people where they can find you online. Uh, I'm I'm in Indianapolis right now, but other than that, in, in tell them where they can find you in person. You're going to be doing uh, events this uh, week. Don't say hi to Matt Penny. I'm at Under Armour Association One. We are in Indianapolis, Indiana. I think it's technically Fishers. We're at the Pacers Athletic Center, kicking off the grassroots season, which I didn't realize coincides with also transfer visits. So I don't know how many college coaches would be here, but we're ready. I'm also on Twitter, Matt underscore Penny. Send uh, send all your good vibes and hugs to Sam underscore Vicini because <laughs> as he recovers here, he's got six more days of bad movies I've never heard of, and and hopefully on the the road to recovery here and get his, get him back to Australia where he belongs. You know what? I'm not actually doing bad movies that you've never heard of. Okay. I am running through the '80s like John Carpenter movies right now, and, like Perfect. '70s John Carpenter movies that like. I've never seen before randomly. So like I watched assault on precinct 13 last night. I watched the fog last night. I'm watching the thing today at some point. Uh, um, I'll watch Prince of darkness at some point today. Like that, that's, that's what I'm doing uh, over the next, 
couple of days here. I'm just going to run through John Carpenter and uh, enjoy enjoy myself because, oh man, I watched Halloween yesterday too. The original Halloween, like, come on, what you're a weird place. I mean, have you ever seen the original Halloween? Yeah, of course. Jamie the Curtis oh, Halloween, my. right? Yeah, part one. Oh my god, what an unbelievable movie! Just like maybe a perfect movie. I think it's incredible. Okay. This has been the Game Theory Podcast. Please remember, rate, review, subscribe. Do everything you can to support the show. Go subscribe to the YouTube. Sam, right? Game Theory Podcast with Sam Vicini. Go hit it. That would be fantastic. Please subscribe. I probably will have time over the next couple of days to clip up these videos because that's what I've time to do over the next couple of days sitting in this hotel room. Uh, like, seriously, I, I could have picked a worse weekend to be stuck here. I've got sure. a Masters. I've got a UFC fight this weekend. Like, I've got a number of things to keep me busy to watch on TV at the very least. Opening day is today in Major League Baseball. Like, there, there could be worse. Could be things, worse. Could right? be worse. Yeah. Uh, I've got John Carpenter movies. I'm good. Uh, again, though, seriously, the ratings, the reviews, they really help support. They really help the show. We will be back next week with mailbag stuff. I don't know what we're going to do necessarily. Um, it could just be like a pre-draft like mailbag episode kind of thing where we try and dive into um, you know, a number of different things uh, over the course of the week. But we'll figure that out later. Until next time, we will talk soon.